All right, so a few things to get into today. Um, first up, I, I mean, obviously I wanted to get this out yesterday because it was yesterday's news, but I had to talk to the IRS for about an hour yesterday about my W-2 that's been missing for a month. And I'm sure everyone knows how that goes. But with the Aaron Rodgers news, obviously everybody knows that he has made his Instagram post, which, let's be real with ourselves, anytime that I think I see Aaron Rodgers making an Instagram post that's a heartfelt or seems like something that he actually took a lot of time to do, A, it is surprising because we know how Aaron Rodgers feels about social media, we know how he feels about media, we know how he feels about having his thoughts and his feelings portrayed in a public manner. And <laughs> every everybody knows. Everybody knows what he's doing at this point. Stephen A. Smith knows. Your mom knows. Everybody knows, especially after the IG post, that he's leaving the Packers. Whether that's retirement or whether that's a new team, doesn't really matter. Everybody knows that he's not going back to the Packers. And I think... What everybody has failed to realize is this is not the Aaron Rodgers from three seasons ago, even. This is not even the Aaron Rodgers from the year before this last year. You know, this is an Aaron Rodgers who understands where he's at with the Green Bay Packers. I think a lot of people are not going to give the Green Bay Packers any sort of, I guess, compliments or roses or any sort of upbringing words. I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but nobody's going to give the Green Bay Packers credit for what they've done in the past two seasons with Matt LaFleur as their head coach, especially. I think they have more wins than anybody in the NFL. They have had one of the best offenses in the NFL, and defensively, they're not terrible. Uh, the only issue that you can say with the Green Bay Packers right now is that <laughs> their special teams just sucks. That's the only reason they lost to San Francisco is because of their special teams. Now, Aaron Rodgers knows this. Aaron knows this. And I think he knows that he isn't going to find greener pastures anywhere else that he goes. Now, I don't mean that there's no chance that he leaves and there's no team out there that would be a better fit or better option because I do think teams like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or, you know, maybe the maybe the Denver Broncos would be a decent option. But, I mean, if I'm Aaron Rodgers... And you just like just think about it the way Aaron Rodgers thinks about it. He, I think he realizes that the Green Bay Packers are one of the best teams in the NFL, with or without him, based on the amount of talent that they have. Now, can Jordan Love take them to a fourteen and two record or fourteen and three record in a seventeen game season and win them a Super Bowl? Right now, probably not. But Aaron Rodgers understands that just picking up and going to a new team does not have the same sort of success every single time like it does for Tom Brady when he goes to Tampa Bay. You know, Peyton Manning didn't win in Denver until three or four seasons into it. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers really has three or four seasons to kind of wait around for the Denver Broncos to get up to speed with what he's trying to do. Because whether Denver Broncos fans want to admit it or not, the type of way that Aaron Rodgers plays football is way more complicated than anything anybody in Denver has ever done on the offensive side of the ball. Aaron Rodgers thinks faster than almost anybody that is playing at this moment at his position. He plays better than anybody at his position, and he has a sort of standard 
that you need to have to be a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. Now, he's dialed it back a little bit. When you see him talk, you know, he's a little bit more of a relaxed, calm demeanor. He doesn't have the sort of get up in your face and, you know, tell you why you suck. Although he probably does do that in training camp with his piss poor receivers like we've seen before. You know, it just, every, I think it's funny to him when he makes an IG post and every single person, like I said, from Stephen A. Smith to anybody that you're going to hear talk about this situation, everybody knows that Aaron's gone, right? I mean, it's a done deal. And the media has made Aaron Rodgers move before he has. I think at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers knows that all the glitters aren't gold. And he knows that not everywhere has greener pastures. And I think that's why he made the post in the first place. Because he either wants to come back or at the very least he's going to retire. Because he doesn't have the type of time to just wait. He doesn't want to play this game that much longer I mean are you kidding me he doesn't want to keep playing he wants to get another ring and get out and I think an MVP was the closest thing that he could have gotten to it but when he sits down and actually thinks you know if he wants to win a Super Bowl Denver's not going to do it for him even Tampa Bay to an extent I don't think has the type of chemistry that the Green Bay Packers have right now and I think the good thing about it is Like I said, everybody knows what he's going to be doing before he's even said what he's going to do. And it's probably going to feel really good for him if he goes back to Green Bay, wins his last Super Bowl, and rides off into that Green Bay sunset. He's going to have done something that, A, nobody would have seen coming, and B, he would be doing something that people would be calling him an idiot for even trying to do because everyone thinks that leaving Green Bay is his best option. I mean, if it were me... Leaving a team who just went back-to-back 14-win seasons or, you know, however many wins they had last year. They had a 14-2 season the first year of the Matt LaFleur era. And, you know, there's really no reason to think at this point that the Green Bay Packers don't present a better option as a football team than any other team in the NFL. And I should clarify actually what I've said The Green Bay Packers didn't win 14 games a couple seasons ago, but they do have three straight years. Every single year of the Matt LaFleur era is either 13-3 or 13-4 this year. There's no team in the NFL that's doing that. Not even the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who just came off a Super Bowl this last year. Not even the LA Rams, who won it this year. Nobody has done what the Green Bay Packers have done in the regular season. Now, yes, they lose in the divisional round every single year or the conference championship, but... Who, where, where, where were the Denver Broncos this year? You know what I mean? Where, where was any other team other than the LA Rams? You ended with a loss. There's 31 teams that ended with a loss. Yes, the Green Bay Packers were one of them, and the Los Angeles Rams were the only one that didn't lose. And the Rams probably are not a better team than the Green Bay Packers in a neutral setting. So just, you know, <laughs> don't rule it out. All I'm saying is don't rule it out because Aaron Rodgers is a lot smarter than some people give him credit for. And I think that IG post just wants to get people talking and wants to get people to look stupid in a year. All right. So the All-Star game on Sunday. The whole All-Star weekend was interesting to say the least. You had a terrible dunk contest by everyone's account. I did not watch. 
I don't think the dunk contest is really valuable to my time if Zach Levine or Aaron Gordon isn't in it. I mean, if it's if it's not Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine, Anthony Edwards, and who who would be the next best dunker? Probably like I don't know. You you come up with that. Who's the who's the fourth option out of the, out of the out of that? But not only was the All Star Game probably a good game. Again, I didn't watch it. I don't think there's really a point to watching the All Star Game. You know, the guys probably like playing it, but there's no point to watching it because it has no effect on anything. With that being said, there wasn't a single guy from this conference, either conference really, who represented a team who was out of the playoff hunt. The only team who didn't find themselves near the 500 mark at the end of this first half of the season, quote-unquote first half, was the Spurs. But even then, they're right there for a playing chance, which playing game is something that I will talk about here in a minute. And right now, there's probably six teams, three from each conference, who are really the interesting teams going into these last 20 games or so. And let's go ahead and start with that. Let's start with the East. Let's talk about the Sixers. Now, the Sixers, in my opinion, killed their championship hopes when they traded for Harden. And it's not because they traded for Harden. It's not because they got rid of Ben Simmons. It's because they traded Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and Ben Simmons for James Harden and Paul Millsap. Now, Paul Millsap is going to give you basically zero on either side of the ball. So that's, you know, you're trading a zero for Drummond and Curry. And you're trading someone for Harden. You're trading for Harden with Ben Simmons. Uh, I just don't see how having that much less depth at this point, because we've seen a lot of teams over the last few years, the team that wins the finals, the team that makes it through the playoffs without a scratch, are the teams that have the most depth. The best thing about the Golden, Store, the Golden State Warriors was that they ran in numbers. That's why their, their motto was strength in numbers. Not only did they have Curry, Clay, and Draymond, and KD towards the end, but when they were winning their first championships, they had Sean Livingston. They had Festus Azili. They had Andrew Bogut. They had, uh, I think they had David Lee, even though he didn't play in that championship series uh, against the Cavs the first time. I think they still had David Lee on the roster. Uh, you're talking about Leandro Barbosa. You're talking about guys like Harrison Barnes, who affects your team in a winning way that you cannot just, you know, you can't just complete your team by trading three role players, I guess two role players really, Curry and Drummond, if you're not going to count Simmons, but you're trading two role players for a superstar in Harden, who admittedly has not had probably the best teams around him the past couple of years, even though he does have KD and he does have Kyrie, the best player that James Harden could play with probably is Joel Embiid. Uh, we saw what he did with Clint Capella. And when Clint Capella got traded from the Rockets to the Atlanta Hawks a couple of years ago, I think a lot of people were saying, you know, Clint Capella is just DeAndre Jordan 2.0. He's a big guy who can run, he can block shots, and he can catch lobs, and he can get offensive rebounds. He's done a lot more in Atlanta than just be a DeAndre Jordan 2.0. Um... And now that Harden is going to have a guy like Joel Embiid, as well as some solid other options like Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris, the fully healthy Sixers team probably presents the closest thing to having Penny Hardaway and Shaquille O'Neal since they since those two guys were in, in Orlando. But 
at the same time, you have to think, okay, we were going to get Harden more than likely anyway at the end of the season. We just traded Seth Curry and Andre Drummond, both our best bench options for our best players. Seth Curry, I think he was starting for a majority of the season, but if he was on the bench, he could come in for either Maxi or whoever else is starting. Uh, and Andre Drummond, even though, you know... <laughs> He got a lot of shit last year for his Lakers run. That's, you know, he can't be faulted for being on a bad team last year. And when he went to a good team this year with the Philadelphia 76ers, I think Sixers fans would probably agree he brought a lot more to the court this year than, say, Dwight Howard did for their team last year or, say, other backup centers have done for Joel Embiid in the past few years. So... Like I said, trading those three guys for a guy that you're probably going to get at the end of the year anyway, plus we don't know what's going to happen with Ben Simmons once he actually does come back. If he looks good, then this trade is going to look really bad for the Sixers, but they still are probably the most interesting team, uh, one of the most interesting teams in the Eastern Conference. And yeah, like I said, they're the closest thing. With Harden and Embiid, they're the closest thing to having a Shaq and Penny combination in a long, long time. Uh, let's go to the next team, the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics, you know, for a team who hasn't won the finals since 08, and they only have that one finals win since 86, they are a franchise who's always going to be in your face about being the greatest franchise of all time. And there's no better time for them to be saying things like that when the Lakers look absolutely terrible. But for a team who does say things like having the greatest franchise of all time, they sure had one of the worst starts, one of the most disappointing starts of any team that we thought we was going to be an Eastern Conference Finals contender. And still, they sit at sixth in the conference, and they're only trailing the Miami Heat by four and a half games for the top spot. <clears throat> and listen, look, NBA players take a little bit to completely get to their peak. And even in acknowledging that, Tatum and Brown aren't even at that 26 to 28 range that it usually happens at for NBA guys. I don't think I've ever seen a pair of 23 and 25 year olds in the NBA get more scrutiny in my entire life. And while it's easy to blame it on them living in a tough small market like Boston and having tough fans around them, more of it has to do with the fact that there are fucking stupid people on the internet telling everyone that they can tell that Tatum and Brown need to be split up. You know, you have a new coach in Boston. You have a new front office lookout, and you've got a team that's completely remodeled their look, their outlook of their franchise in the span of about two months, and everyone acted like the season was over when they didn't come out of the gate as the best team in the league. Now, <clears throat> is this the season for the Boston Celtics to win the finals? I don't think so. You know, I think they're still one point guard short of having a really good team that could go either toe-to-toe -to -toe with guys or teams in their own conference like the Nets or the Bucks or the Heat or even the Sixers. Even if they made it out of the East, you're talking about a team that's going to go up against either the Suns, the Warriors. Uh, if the Lakers figure it out, they could be there. Uh, the Jazz, which the Jazz aren't a good team, but, you know. Uh, you know, this probably isn't the year for the Celtics, but the way they've turned it around, don't be surprised if Game 7 of the Conference Finals is in Boston, and they have a chance to win it to go to the NBA Finals. Now, <clears throat> the other team that was involved in that James Harden-Ben Simmons trade 
obviously, is the Brooklyn Nets. And it's weird because they have one of the most interesting teams in the league at the moment. We have no idea when Kevin Durant is coming back. Kyrie is a wild card, depending on where you're playing. And obviously, Ben Simmons needs a little bit of time to get back in playing shape again. So who does that leave? That leaves Seth Curry, Patty Mills, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, Bruce Brown, Andre Drummond, Cam Thomas, and Kessler Edwards to carry this team to a top 10 seed in the Eastern Conference for the foreseeable future. Now, even saying that, even if the Brooklyn Nets are a 7 seed, or even if they're an 8 seed, or you know, wherever they're placed, I don't give a lot of teams a chance to beat a healthy Kevin Durant. I mean, you're talking about, you know, if Steph Curry never comes around and if Klay Thompson never comes around, Kevin Durant is being considered the greatest shooter of all time. Not only because of how efficient he is, but how big he is as a player. Nobody could guard him right now even if he had one leg. And in the playoffs, it's an even harder thing to do to try to contain Kevin Durant and keep him from killing your franchise hopes of winning a title. Just think about it this way. If Kevin Durant didn't have a two-foot-long foot and had his toe on the line last year, the Milwaukee Bucks don't win the finals last year because of that shot that Kevin Durant hits. And that's just something. It's Kevin Durant at this point, you know? Everybody from Patrick Beverly to Marcus Smart to even P.J. Tucker have had their cracks at trying to guard this guy. And nobody can do it. And like I said, I don't give a lot of teams chances <clears throat> to beat this team if they come back healthy with a Kevin Durant. Now let's move on to the Western Conference. I'm going to start with the Pelicans. Because the Pelicans at this point, I think they're 23-36. and 36. They're either 12th or 11th in the conference in the West at this point. You know, the Portland Trailblazers are going to fall out of that 10th seed. That's just, you know, Dame's probably not coming back this year. With CJ McCollum gone now and in New Orleans, they have the best chance of getting that 10 spot. And they're tied right now with the San Antonio Spurs for 11th. But, I mean, even even now, the Pelicans have a better team at the moment than the Spurs. The Spurs really right now have DeJounte Murray and a bunch of young guys who are trying to develop. The Pelicans have multiple guys now between Brandon Ingram between Devontae Graham, between CJ McCollum, between Jonas Valanciunas, between other guys like Herbert Jones or Trey Murphy or Jackson Hayes now. They actually became a professional team with the CJ McCollum edition. And now that they go seven to nine guys deep with their roster and their depth chart, they have the best chance of making that 10th seed. Uh, Who else? Who else? The Timberwolves. The Timberwolves have a small window right now because they could either develop Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and D'Angelo Russell as the next big three in the NBA, or one of them's going to have to go. More than likely, D'Angelo Russell, and that's what they're going to get to figure out once they make the playoffs this year because I think it's, of, I th- you know, I would say they're guaranteed for that sixth seed, especially if they decide to try to take the ball out of D'Angelo Russell's hands, which is probably the best idea. You know, Carl Anthony Towns just won three-point contest. He was an all-star. Anthony Edwards is looking like one of the better second-year players this year. I see no chance that they don't make the playoffs. And if they're, you know, anywhere from four to six and they're playing a team like possibly the Utah Jazz in the first round or who would they be slated up against right now? 
So they would go against Golden State. Obviously, that's not a good matchup for them, but that's a matchup that they at least get to test themselves and see where they're at compared to one of the best teams in the NBA. Uh, who's the last team? Let's go ahead and talk about the Grizzlies. Now, at 41-19, and 19, easily the most impressive team in the NBA compared to their expectations. I think a lot of teams, or a lot of people did think the Memphis Grizzlies were going to be good, but seeing them be one of the three 40-win teams at the All-Star break was not something that a lot of people really were going to say was a chance. And at this point, you know, with Ja, with Jaron Jackson, with Steven Adams, with Desmond Bain, with, I don't think Dylan Brooks is back yet. You know, their team just looks really good. They became really professional within a couple of years. And John Morant deserves a lot more MVP consideration than he's getting right now, in part due to the fact that Memphis is third in the Western Conference right now. Now let's talk about something that I think is really important. And that's the play-in game. A lot of people that I hear talking right now, and listen, I get it. You know, being, you know, winning a chance to be the eighth seed, like if you're the Charlotte Hornets and you win the chance to be the eighth seed, I get it. It's not that great of an outlook because you're probably playing either Miami, Chicago, or Philly in the first round, and you're going to get either swept or beaten five games. I understand. But let's, let's take a little bit of a look back. Teams 7 through 10 before the play-in game, especially in the Eastern Conference, never used to be anywhere near this good. A 10th seed Atlanta Hawks would destroy any 10 seed within the last 10 years in the Eastern Conference. That's just a fact. And I think this has to do with the fact that the, the play-in game has been introduced. It gives teams that are in that 7 to 10 range the notion of, yes, we might not make the playoffs, but at least we're going to have a competitive end to our season. I think that's what any team in the NBA wants to have. And as a fan, that's what I want to have. I would rather see every single team in the NBA make the playoffs. There's a way you could do it where one through eight get you know a week off and those bottom seven teams battle it out. There is a way to do it. But the way it is right now, not only does it make teams 7 through 10 better than they ever have before, it fixes a little bit of a parity issue, which, you know, you say issue in air quotes because I don't know if right now it's as big of an issue as it has been when Golden State was making their run, when Miami was making their run. It fixes the issue a little bit because I don't think teams like Charlotte are making moves to get Montrez Harrell to make their team better as a nine seed in years prior before the all before the playing game was introduced. I don't think the New Orleans Pelicans at the 12 seed right now would make a move to get CJ McCollum if they weren't trying to go for a play-in chance. And here's the thing. It gives a chance for these eight to seven seeds who earn their way into the playoffs, gives them a little bit more confidence going into their series. Now, again... You know, if the Atlanta Hawks get the seven seed and they go against the Chicago Bulls in the first round, are they just guaranteed to win it because they have that extra confidence that I'm talking about? No, probably not. But it at least probably gives them a game. It at least gives them, it steals a game for them. Because even though the Atlanta Hawks are the 10th seed right now, they're a lot better than than a 10th seed in the East. They are. Everybody would admit that. The Charlotte Hornets are better than the 9th seed. The Brooklyn Nets are better than the 8th seed. You have teams like Toronto right now at the 7th seed that nobody saw being a 7th seed. 
And you have the Cleveland Cavaliers at the four seed. Sometimes teams really improve year to year. And a lot of that, now especially, I think can be attributed to the play-in game. Look at the Memphis Grizzlies. Look at what John Morant has had to do in the past couple of years. In the first year of the play-in game, they got to go head-to-head with Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers. They got to see what their team looked like against a star-heavy team in the Trailblazers. They didn't win the game, but they looked good. Take the next year. They play in the play-in game again. They win the play-in game against the Golden State Warriors, a team that was basically just Steph Curry last year and Draymond Green. Now they're tested through these playing games, and yes, they don't beat Utah in the first round after they, I believe they got the seven seed by beating Golden State. They don't win in the first round, obviously, against the Utah Jazz, but I would go as far as to say that I don't think the Memphis Grizzlies would be in the position that they're at right now without having those two years of playing games because it gives them the closest thing to experiencing playoff basketball that anybody could could endure and for a team right now like the Spurs who have a young star in DeJounte Murray who's almost averaging a triple double you get him in a playoff scenario again it's not the playoffs I understand but you get him in scenarios where he's actually testing himself and you know who knows if they win the play-in tournament and they get to the eight seed right now because I think if you're a nine or ten seed the highest you can get is the eight seed you know you're having DeJounte Murray see what a Phoenix Suns playoff series feels like, or you're seeing what a Golden State Warriors playoff series feels like. And especially with a coach like Greg Popovich, who could take the most out of losses that I've ever seen any coach be able to do. The playing game is helping out the NBA a lot more than people are going to give it credit. And at this point, there's some really good teams who are going to be in that play-in tournament who either have young stars or who have superstar teams that are trying to get over the hump. And I'm not talking about getting over the hump as winning a championship. I'm talking getting over the hump of having confidence in your team. This play-in tournament gives teams a chance to have confidence in their team. The teams that lost it last year don't look great. The teams that won it last year look a lot better, except for the Lakers. They look terrible. But we saw them looking terrible anyway. All right, that's a podcast.